It is Monday, September 30th, 2019, and it is time for Morning Combat Dogs. Welcome. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program. Next to my lovely co-host, Brian Campbell, fresh off the bird from Los Angeles. He was at Spence Porter. We got to talk about that. We have to talk about a lot today. UFC Copenhagen, UFC uh, what 243. Biggest week in pro wrestling history. None of that's on the run. I just want to let you <laughs> Thank know Thank God. All right. All right. Uh, we have a lot to get to. Before we get to any of that, of course, please, as always, give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel, donks, and share this around to anyone who you think might need to see it. Your mom, your dog, your friend, your neighbor, whoever. Please, share it around. We yeah, always appreciate been, that. You've been you eating do. long enough now. Stop being greedy. Right? How, uh, not, yeah, Yes, DMX, very good. Hey, how was your time in L.A.? Dude, the best city in the world, first of all, because it's got the best food and the best people and the best weather. But i got to give a shout-out to the City of Angels. I've covered many boxing fights at, like, the Barclays Center, where you'd be typing, you'd be watching. That's New York. I know, but hear me out. Okay. And you go... Somebody need to do their shirt laundry. And you're like, okay, somebody's getting high in the crowd. That's cool. It happens. All right. In L.A., they don't F around. They don't hide it. Yeah. I had it right before the main event. I ran up the stairs to use the men's room. There were three separate groups of guys inside and outside of the bathroom helping each other roll like the blunt tighter <laughs> yeah. and like passing it around. This is like hot boxing the community. You're like, not this is like, you, can't, you can't smoke weed in the Staples Center, can you? Oh, there, this was not like let's hide in the bathroom. Or the forum, whatever. Bringing it out of the bathroom and passing it around to like fellow people. There's little kids around. Bro, you smoke, you smoke weed with other donks in a bathroom. You just deserve to get that, clubbed. That in the is head. Uh, that's that's how you build a community right there. So shout out to LA. That's you know? how you get the wood shampoo from the popo. That's what you get. Uh, all right, we have a lot of stuff to get to as well. They they wanted to talk to Samson. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I understand. All right, let's get to it. UFC Copenhagen was on Saturday in uh, well Copenhagen, Denmark. The main event was a UFC middleweight contest. Not so much a title eliminator, but an important one just the same. With Jared Cannonier defeating. Beating Jack Hermanson via second round TKO, frankly, it wasn't even close. And which is interesting to note about that, Brian Cable, because he went into that one, Jared Cannonier did, as not an enormous underdog, but a fairly considerable one. I think like a plus 250 in a lot of places. And it wasn't very hard for him. So the question that I want to start today's show with is what is this, what's the biggest takeaway from his win, and what does it do to the division? For me, I'll say the following. The big takeaway is. It is, yes, you can say, wow, what a revelation this guy is at middleweight. At 35, he figured it all out. Great, good for him. And he might go on to fight Yoel Romero. God only knows what's next for him. He's going to jump a lot of slots from this. But to me, the biggest one is so really interesting. It's like, dude, let me get this straight. You're this good, and you're 35 years old, and it took you that long to figure out what the right weight was. And again, you could say, well, Frankie Edgar never fought the right weight until later on. Well, yeah, but he won a UFC title. In other words, he reached an objective level of success in that weight class, even if it was suboptimal, so much so that it didn't really matter. He just fought for another one a weight class down. He may have lost for you know age or mileage or whatever. My only point being is I don't think Jared Cannonier is dumb, and certainly uh, I don't think he doesn't understand himself. It just tells you the ingredients of success can be right in front of your nose and you never really know it. Getting with a good team. Look, does everyone need to train at the MMA lab or American Top Team or AKA? Not necessarily. But some of them do. Some of them should. And he, when I first interviewed him, dude, he was an air traffic controller in Alaska. He moved down to Arizona because he was fighting at heavyweight and then light heavyweight. And not only has he gotten better, the takedown defense was phenomenal, but he just seems to understand who he is as a fighter. That's a big part. And as long as he does, dude, he is going to be cooking with gas. All the power is there at middleweight. All the speed is there. My biggest takeaway is, yes, he's a force to be reckoned with. And at 35, I think he still has... 
improvement to gain. Yeah, these are the best stories in sports, if you ask me. When people sort of figure it out late in life. Kind of my own personal story, right? <laughs> yeah. I was Wait, you figured it out? I was quite a donk for a long time. And look at, you know, now I'm here now in this uh, fantastic bomb shelter. Uh, my you point is, is, look... When guys go on these sort of runs in their 30s in any sport, I mean, we saw it in boxing with a name that we don't like to talk about these days much, Carlos Baldemir. Remember him? <laughs> Feather duster maker. Suddenly he's the welterweight champion of fighting Floyd on pay-per-view before he molested his own daughter. But he's locked up. You don't have to worry about that. And the point is that it takes a while. Jared Cannonier working for an airline as a 300-pound man, finding other people's contraband. Turns out he's the one hiding the heavyweight bomb inside of his right hand. And that's his asset right now, being a former heavyweight, having the power. But that only gets you so far to beat a guy like Hermanson, who was so red hot, who seemed to be like one more win outside of a title shot. And then suddenly, we got to restructure what's going on in middleweight, and we're going to take this guy seriously. This was a great story. To do it on foreign soil, which was almost Hermanson's backyard, and do it in such a dominant fashion. You're, you're upset. What's going on here? You, he's, not, he's not Danish. Right, but this he's was... He's Swedish, Nor- Norwegian. I, I, he's not Danish. Okay. It's I, like, I said, hey, it's like Luke a Thomas backyard. fought in Toronto right in his backyard. Motherfucker, I'm not Canadian. <laughs> it's a, it's a virtual, virtual backyard, you know? You're just lumping all the whites together? Is that all, what you're look, doing now? All the whites in Europe live so close together yeah, in a little the end. Bit. You, know, there, so you there, can get on a train, you can see multiple stops in one Mark day. Mark Madsen was the hometown guy, which we'll talk about in just a second. But look, to your point about Hermanson, I'll be honest... I didn't understand his game plan. Now, I understood it in the in the bigger perspective, which was get this guy down. You saw against Glover Teixeira when Kenanier was at light heavyweight, that was a real problem for him. And he has, or at least Hermanson believes, he has you know uh, the best ground and pound in MMA. That's what he advertises. Did it not seem to you like his approach was the right one in terms of like on paper, if you wrote it down, it would look nice? Did it not seem frantic to you? No. Like it he was like, like, if I don't get him down now, the whole world's going to collapse. You know what it seemed like from a macro view was that this was Jack Hermanson's close up. This was our chance to find out, like we said, is he a real title contender? Could he do this in his virtual hometown there? But really, a main eventer in Europe trying to become sort of a brand of his own within UFC, he proved in that moment he wasn't ready for prime time. Didn't have the right sort of style, didn't seem to fight with the right mental makeup and urgency there and it just opened the door for this great story in Cannoneer and just to double back on that Luke you love when you don't know a guy's ceiling. Look, this is a, uh, a topic that's going to come into play later when we break down Adesanya Whitaker. When you don't know how great a guy can be, it's you just get excited and find out. The fact that Cannoneer's figuring this out as we are makes a great theater to watch. And he's sort of proving, I won't say the haters wrong per se, but when he went and beat David Branch, it's like, well, that was pretty surprising and cool, but what else is there to do? And then he fought Anderson Silva and had that weird leg kick thing and had this antagonism with the audience. And you thought, okay, well, that doesn't really tell us a whole lot either, although that's still kind of cool. But you can't say anything about this one. This was Jack Hermanson in his prime. Again, not so much in his hometown, but it wasn't like he had to travel very far for this one, right? He is as good as he is ever going to be, and he couldn't really do much to him. He did not want to exchange with with Cannoneer on the ground, on the feet, excuse me, and on the ground. He could not control him for any amount of time that really mattered, and he just seemed to collapse once all of that. He just imploded once he realized that couldn't get done. And of course, he ate the uppercut. My only point being is, however much you want to discount the branch win, however much you want to discount the silver win, buddy, you cannot discount the Hermanson you, win. It is you as can legit. discount what he did at heavyweight and light heavyweight, which is not much because he's figured out the best optimum weight, and now it's like, we're going to have to have a new conversation. Is he well-rounded enough for the very, very elites? Yes or no? Do you want him to fight Yoel Romero next? I just think that fight makes itself. E- that's going to be a great fight, yes. They're yes. Gonna, they're gonna be... I, say, I only say E because that's a tough-ass fight for him right yeah. now, but look, when you climb the ladder... 
you bring it on. You bring you know, it on it's, yourself. It's, it's so funny. It's like we talk about this fight, UFC 243, which we'll get to later. All these fresh faces, right? 28-year-old Robert Whitaker, third, brand, uh, brand new 30-year-old Israel Adesanya. And yet it's some of these old dogs, right? Yoel Romero, just incredible athletic uh, ability. And then Cannoneer finally getting all the pieces of the puzzle together. It's a fresh face. It's an old guy, but it's a fresh face. It's an interesting division right now. Sort of a tale of two, two, two uh, ages there. Um, anyone else from that card stand out to you? Obviously, this was Mark O. Madsen's night. And look, I'm not much... I- as much of a donk as you are on the things like amateur wrestling and grappling. I'm sure you were rocking out to ADCC while I was listening to some ACDC over the weekend. That's why you're a loser. Wow, really? No, really? not really. Okay, I like you. okay, You're nice, okay. but go ahead. Right. By the way, you more of a Johnson or, or Bon Scott guy when it comes to Bon ACDC. Scott, come on, player. Right. I can get down with both, whereas, you know, he's, he's no Hagar. Anyway, here's the point on that. Um, where are we going here? Marco Madsen stepped up and showed you that he just might be ready for, for like real prime time. Of course, your fear for that guy is that he's going to be a little bit too wrestling heavy. Does he have as much of a well-rounded game? And certainly this was obviously not a killer of an opponent and didn't give you a long fight to really map out exactly where he is. But as far as stepping up to that moment in front of the home fans and being everything he needed to be, I think he exceeded expectations. He's got a killer, uh, you know, killer hammer game there. It was like uh, playing that uh, arcade game there. I want to see what he can be. He's in the toughest division in the sport, but when you have that sort of one dimension that's so damn strong, what can he add to that in a short amount of time? What do you know about this guy that I don't, being a non-donk? Well, I talked to uh, this guy who used to ref a bloody elbow named uh, Mike Reardon. He wrestled at the uh, at VMI, I believe. Uh, no, at the, at the Citadel, excuse me. He wrestled, which is Division One, and he, but to me, he's always been the best writer for amateur wrestling inside MMA, like who's a guy who knew both worlds. And he tells me that the guy, if you look at his resume, Madsen's resume. It's like the Olympics, uh, he got a silver medal, and then there's like six European or world championships in a row where he just got silver in all of them. Apparently there was another guy named Vlasov, who was like an all-time great. So in other words, it's like at light heavyweight, how Cormier was amazing, but for John Jones. It's kind of like that, but how good is Daniel Cormier at light heavyweight? Pretty goddamn good. You mentioned that he's got the wrestling game on lock, which he does. He's got that Greco-Roman style. The Matt Lynn and the Dan Hendersons, the Randy Couture's were bringing sexy back from Greco-Roman. But the was it ever sexy? I mean, really? Well, you know, no, it wasn't. But the point being is, is look, he's not just good at that and Olympic level at that. Did you notice the physicality of him? Yes. Like, he is another level of athletics that, even at lightweight, you don't necessarily see a whole lot of that. So he looks to be a natural. He can beat, bang on his feet. He's got good finishing instincts. He seems strong. Even at 35 years old, another 35-year-old. Man, MMA is really weird where you get these guys from Olympic wrestling and maybe they were, like, like okay, Henry Cejudo got the gold medal and that's great. And there's issues about how Yoel Romero got the silver medal. It's not clear if that's on the up and up, but the, the point being is this. I like the silver medalists. I like those guys. They you got know a chip why? on the shoulder. They right? got a chip on their goddamn shoulders, and they're better athletes than virtually. Like, what's the difference between the athletic ability of a silver medalist and a gold medalist, typically? Almost nil. Yeah. Very, very slight. So you take that guy, and then you give him a chip on his shoulder, and he has to go compete against donks who show up to uh, gyms to lose weight. Boy, he's going to put knuckles to chin. That's exactly what it is. Very did. similar to growing up in Marietta compared to old Marietta. Yeah, well, no, that's more of a class versus, uh, you know, a state but, issue. But just to finish this, I like a good ground and ponder. I like an old school guy who yeah. can finish when he gets in position on the ground. How many times do we see somebody take somebody down, get in that position, and not have those same instincts? Yes, we need to see a lot more from this guy, but talk about opening statement for somebody like me who heard the name, don't know, don't have a clue until I tune in in my bed sheets there in the LA Hotel Saturday morning to see this. Great to wake up on the West Coast and see a live UFC yeah. card, by the way. Fun to watch football at 10 a.m. 
in any event, uh, and also trained by Martin Kamen. It was nice to see Martin Kamen yes. out there. All right, so we go to our second one here. But the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix is set. Uh, we know who the eight quarterfinals are. It was already in motion, but now we know who the quarterfinalists are. And so we have an event coming up in, I believe, December, certainly January, then February, and then I think March will be the last one, right? So we, we have all of those. All right, up to this point. And now you take, okay, so here's what I want you to think about, Brian. All the fights that have happened to this point, the selection show, and then what lies ahead. We are nowhere near finished. But if I had to ask you for a grade through where we are, what would you say? A minus. Wow, that's And it got to that level because of this selection show. Holy crap, Luke. Did not watch this live. Heard everyone in my life basically be like, get ready for the cringe. This is awful. This was crap reality TV. Um, Then I watched it enthralled the entire time. This was genius. This was a great idea. Look, you're already a little bit behind the eight ball if you're Bellator, right? They, they, they throw out the tournament to try to get interest. Yeah, we know a lot of these names, and there's certainly fights that the hardcores want to see. You don't really know the personalities of these guys, and this was such a unique position to put them in a spot where they had to make very strategic uh, in the moment, decisions that are normally done behind the scenes, normally done, and you see them uh, standing with Jen Brown with their coaches behind them. They had 30 seconds to sort of chat. You can kind of almost hear what they're talking about, and you saw what goes into this decision making. They had a chance to either be big balls and call out and fight whoever they wanted if they wanted to go after the best, or, which is what most of them did, made a strategic decision, either to rest an injury a little bit longer or to get into an easier side of the bracket. I loved all of that. And I loved it even more when the champ, Pitbull, comes out at the end and he's got a chance to throw the whole bracket upside down. This was what, like a white elephant? You know the Christmas game, the grab bag game? Yeah, yeah. My family calls it the Chinese grab bag, which is probably insensitive that after all these racist. years. Yeah, that's, that's really, can we pull that one back there? <laughs> a white elephant at the end. You know everyone knows the first person gets a, at the end a chance to go back and do what they want. To see that happen and to see a guy uh, in the in the quarterfinals there, Pedro Carvalho, who at first was like, I'm going to fight in March. You know why? Because I want to get fat during Christmas. Well, now Pitbull crashes the pool. He's got a title shot. This was fun TV, Luke. Right. This gave a face and some personality to guys that, to be honest, really don't. And if you're only sort of a middling MMA fan and you know a little bit about Bellator, it gave you something to care about. It's so funny to me. I don't know exactly why it's happening right now, but between this selection show and the BMF belt over in the UFC, all of a sudden the promoters kind of realized maybe our fans want to have fun. <laughs> and again, and not every, not every time, not all the time. You have to do some kind of enormous theatrics or a big stage show like they did for that selection show. I'm not, I'm not bashing. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be this grandiose rollout every time. But maybe once in a while, manicure the product. Maybe once in a while, take a risk. Maybe once in a while, do something off the beaten path. And the BMF belt sort of created itself, whereas the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix is a much bigger production, a much much more involved procedure. I got to say, I loved everything about that selection show, other than my one criticism, is that I think it should have been a standalone event. And the reason why is because you had so much going on there, they had to rush it for television purposes. Imagine if they didn't, number one. Number two, if you had it as a separate, let's say, press conference, which I grant it's going to cost a lot more money to refly everyone else back out there. I get it. But if you did that, I think you'd get a lot more media attention. I could be wrong about that. I think you're going to get less attention. This was a It's debatable, this but was like, a show you had to see if you're an MMA fan, right? Fair enough, but I think if you did it as a standalone event, you could do a lot more with it from a production standpoint. Either way, my only criticism is I don't think they got the chance to maximize what it was. But whatever it was, maximized or not, dude, it was a promoter taking a risk. And you could call it innovation and maybe or not innovation because they're borrowing from the old K1 model. Either way, what's 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 new or what's old is new again and and what's 
tried and true, you bring it back. Dude, differentiation is badly needed. I talk about this all the time. People say, well, why can't we fix the rules? Like, the NFL can just change their kickoff rules. The NBA, I don't know if you saw this, in their G League, they're going to have somebody, uh, they're going to attempt, they'll only have a uh, single shot from the free throw line from the foul, but it could be a one-point, a two-point, or a three-pointer, depending on the context. The point is, I don't know if that's a good rule for the NBA G League. Here's what I do know. They're trying to do something different. In MMA, you can't. They gave the UFC and Bellator and everybody else, they gave the keys to the kingdom for rule innovation to the athletic commissions, which means you are very hamstrung in terms of what you can do. Well, you can, you this, this yes. to me, Brian Campbell, was a great way to find space to innovate. It's no different than PFL doing a season format, which is a unique thing. And I think in, in this Bellator thing, the tournament, whether it's the welterweight one or the heavyweight one or this featherweight one, you could get natural matchups that aren't booked by promoters, and that's what you love about it. I didn't think you could be better than that, right? This made it even better because now you put the choice in the fighter's hands, and in some cases you're choosing timing or you're choosing opponent. Did you have any issue in the end with the fighters not necessarily stepping up and being big balls, being more selective and strategic in who they fight and when, rather than saying, I want the champion, or hey, AJ McKee, you just had a, a giant moment there with an eight-second knockout. I want you next. I. Okay, here's what I'll say. That could have backfired, but the way in which it shook, uh, it shook out, I should say, for A.J. McKee, which I want to get to in just a second, and how it pushed the Boric versus um, Caldwell. Caldwell fight, it was the championship clause that Pitbull took advantage of. The way it shook it up, it made everything great. So in the end, I feel like we're getting, if not the best permutation, a very, very good one. But you're right, they kind of went down a path that could have gone, not poorly, but suboptimally. It was just the way it shook out, it ended up being great. Let's talk about A.J. McKee for just a second, if Please. we can. He has an eight-second win. He's only 24 years old. He had, he's had all of his fights in Bellator. Is he the one to watch? Okay, the champions of the tournament. Outside of him, is he the one to watch for you? He is, he is. And Boric had a great first, uh, first side of the bracket. He really got your attention. I think it's A.J. McKee's now uh, chance to really be the face of this tournament and really do something big. And it was cool to have his dad, 49-year-old, get a win on that card as well against a... A stoppage, which, by the way, for the big McKee is rare. Yeah. Against a uh, maybe not primetime opponent, but that's fine. It's an AJ McKee's night here, and he came out and did exactly what you want to do. Eight second win, but then that celebration was over the top and out of control, and I loved it. I think, see, suddenly he's the, the early wild card on mm. how great can he be. Giant ceiling, don't know, need to see it now. Did really enjoy Darian Caldwell's victory, even if he didn't really go for the finish when he had the opportunity. So to me, I love this. 24 years old, he's had all of his fights in Bellator. This proves a couple of things, uh, Brian Campbell. Number one, it proves if you are someone of pedigree, if you're a Dylan Dennis and you come from an elite jiu-jitsu background, if you're a, the, the, the child of an established fighter and coach and you don't want to compete on the regional cards, you want to start on the big show, but you need that regional card treatment and you want to get better and better and better, Bellator is a better choice than UFC. It just is. It's just a much, they can do so much more for you in that regard. UFC is just, you need to be a much more senior established talent. Doesn't mean you can't get there because look at the last two fights. He beats Pat Curran and now Georgie Karakani and he is fighting senior level talent at this point. I'm always saying it took him 14, 15 fights to get there, which is only to be expected. They have the, Bellator should get criticized when they do a bad job building a guy. They should get praised when they do a good job. They have done an excellent job with A.J. McKee. But I'm telling you, I've got my eyes on Adam Borch versus Darren Caldwell. I'll tell you why Love really that quickly. Fight. Dude, that is an amazing fight. Because if Aaron Pico can get him down against Adam Borch, you know Darren Caldwell can. But I thought going up to 145, it might open up Darian Caldwell's offense. And to be clear, in the first round, he was getting after it. Looked to me like he took the second round off 
and then did just enough to win the third. Yeah, he what he got warned for inactivity in the third. And- D- buddy, I am telling you, you pull that against Adam Borch, you're gonna wake up looking at the lights. That guy waits for his opportunity. He has the best flying knee or f- switch double or w- whatever you want to call those kinds of knees in the game. He is highly offensive but patient and smart. And the best part about him is he like he trains in Hungary. Like no one. Yes, he trains also <laughs> down to floor, yeah. 365. But he doesn't like. There's a lot of what, where he comes from and what he does that's somewhat unknown. There's there's a tape water from here, but you don't have a real keen sense of his abilities. And plus, Caldwell only fights one way. It, it appears that is a huge test. I will for say Caldwell guy. impressed me though, moving up in weight and winning so dominantly, even if he didn't really take advantage to try to end those fights. And I just want to say this about this selection show and this chance. This obviously works better in Bellator, where they they can handle a cringe, they can handle a carnival, they can put out Dota five thousand in a heart attack match, they can do crazy things. Well, they can't do, can't do that. they can't really do that. But uh, they set up a format here. Could have gone really bad with the reality TV angle. Could have gone really well. I gave it a high grade going really well, and you know what we didn't really get? A ton of trash talk and a ton of potential over-the-top moments. I think there's potential for this to grow even more and Agreed. be even more entertaining and but, probably tiptoe the line of cringe, and but that's don't fine. You, but don't you agree that if it's going to grow, it has to grow as a separate entity? Like it has to, the, the selection show. I don't agree with that no? because if you tell me that there's going to be a selection show at 1 o'clock on Thursday, and I think you're going to get way less viewers and attention than in prime time on a card that you have to see in a big city. I was all for that. I get it. I don't, I don't know. I think if you want to do something more with it, you have to give it space to breathe. So that's just my only sense about things. But so far with that tournament, man, so good. And by the way, Pitbull wins in the main event. It's a whole thing. Okay. So let's get to uh, something else I would love, I'd love to start with now the third topic. I'll just pitch right to you. Over the weekend, I, I, we, we told you, he told you, I told you, everyone really told you that Errol Spence taking on Sean Porter was one not to miss. You had Spence, this great at welterweight, maybe, maybe pound for pound great, taking on a bull in a china shop in Sean Porter. And oh my God, did this deliver. Easy candidate for fight of the year. Frankly, an all-time classic insofar as that division is concerned, Brian Campbell. You were there live in L.A. What's the story of the fight? The story of the fight is, let's not forget, when this fight is booked, everyone's like, I need to see this because we've never seen Spence against this crazy style against an elite fighter. But Luke, something happened on the way there. Suddenly the Vegas Sharps are telling you Spence is a minus 900 favorite, and you have Spence at every turn, which we talked about last week, predicting I will easily knock out this guy. Nobody told Sean Porter that in the end, and what you had was a great pay-per-view fight in which both guys went after it. Luke, we're just coming off the Mayweather pay-per-view era, where you get big shows, but then you get defensive showcases. This were two guys who were forced, because of the style that Sean Porter set and the pace, to go after it, and you had an exciting fight. And the end-all takeaway is... This is almost a moral victory for Sean Porter. Almost. This was his best performance in his career in a loss, though, in which he pushed a guy in Errol Spence who's showing you up to this point, along with Terrence Crawford, all-time great potential, right? All-time great to be a face of this era. And he made him work in a style, pace, and distance he didn't want to for 12 full rounds. Now, in the end, just like in his last fight, when Errol Spence outboxed Mikey Garcia for 12 rounds to prove a point, Spence proves another point here, that he can fight another man's style, that he can go in that trench for 12 rounds. But don't miss the overall storyline here. Even though Porter lost, he forced one of the great Spence to fight an uncomfortable style the entire fight. Spence was never able to discipline him, slow him down, and basically, as a ring general, create control of the fight. Credit to Spence, that 11th round knockdown was huge on my card. That took that, pushed that in Spence's direction to get a win, 114-113. Judges had a little bit, you know, in the other direction for Spence. But in the end, it survived in advance because Porter made it a hellacious night. And Luke, he didn't do it 
the old Porter way, which is reckless all the time. Did you see the way he set up his attacks with smart feints, with smart footwork? Angle change. He always kept Spence guessing. Yeah. To me, it's like, is that the fight that Spence said that was going to happen? Like, when he was talking about what this fight was going to be and what he was going to prove, did he say it was going to look like that? Uh, Never no. in a million years. If you just zoom out, imagine you had, how's your vision? Is it good? Can it's you see 2020? Fantastic. 20, 20? So I, I got, got 2010 20 in one eye. Is that right? Okay, you're a mutant. That's fine. At 2020, I look at the TV. Imagine you had blurry vision and you just saw them kind of fighting the way that they were. You would say, like, I always tell folks, for example, when you watch a Floyd fight, it often is a little bit slow. It's methodical. It's taking place at a distance. The one with Cotto a little bit different, and certainly against Maidana a little bit different too. But in general, why do his fights look that way? Because he makes them yes. look that way. The complexion of the fight often tells you who's winning, which is interesting because the overall complexion of this fight had a Sean Porter fight written all over it. It was a goddamn brawl at times, right? <laughs> it was amazing. And there were times where Spence was covering up and, and ducking for dear life. He, not looked, he, was, he looked not hurt, but he looked... Uncomfortable. You look uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable at times, dude. So here's what I took away from this fight. One, Spence is the real deal Holyfield, right? To be able to fight a guy like that who was putting it on you. Best night of his life. Scoring that 11th round knockdown. And now there's a question about where he goes from here, which we'll talk about in just a second. But for that moment in time, you thought to yourself, dude, he can fight smart Mikey Garcia and then brawling Sean Porter, and he can come out the other end not looking too scuffed up all, all that much. On the other hand, Sean Porter proved, okay, is he the best welterweight in the world? He's not. But you better be, and you better be on your A game when you are the best if you're going to take on Sean Porter. He is a tough out for anybody. Yeah, you let him in your house, somebody's getting knocked up. He's going to get inside. You have to be on your P's and Q's the whole time. And, dude, you're right. I had it it, um, 115-112. But to me, it was like, I I think I was like nine rounds in. I think Porter had it winning at that point. Well, it was one of those where you're literally judging Porter's control of the pace and the fight and the dictation of the terms against Spence landing cleaner counter shots. Right. And I think sometimes people, when they're scoring fights, especially at home and they're drinking and they're not paying attention as much, you only score the scoring blows. If you are making another man fight your crazy style and he doesn't want to, that's a big part of winning a round. But if he can do that and then drop you in the 11th and then find other sort of key precise moments to that's land. That's where he proved he's the real. Exactly. That's that, that was just that extra edge. So now the question goes to who is next? And you had Danny Garcia in there. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, here's the problem. The fans are really upset about well, this. Well, hold on. Let me, let me give you my sense of things. Because I think it was after the Garcia fight, if I'm not mistaken, that Spence called out Pacquiao. And yes. Pacquiao just Pacquiao beat, was in the ring Pacquiao, as well. That's right. And Pacquiao just had his big win over Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman has his hand messed up. They can't make that fight anyway. So you're like, oh, man, that'd be great. Pacquiao seems to look revived. You know, when there may or may not be VADA testing, I'm not saying one way or the other. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, frankly, I don't really care one way or the other. But let's let's be honest. He looked great against Thurman, okay? And he still has the ability to pull big numbers on PBC. That is the fight to make. I think you would agree. I would like to see that one in a perfect world or maybe the Bud Crawford one. But here we go. Pacquiao, I don't know that he is available for the moment. And then on the other side, you have Bud Crawford, who is with top rank. Now, I know they got this fight happening between Ortiz and Wilder. and saying, oh, if we come together well, for this. Fury Wilder in Fury Wilder, what am I saying? If we come together for this, um, we can just make yeah. things happen. But the reality is there are more welterweights in the PBC stable. They don't actually need to make that happen in the same way that they kind of need to make Fury and Wilder, too. So it looks like Danny Garcia is the guy. Why should fans... Well, how, fans, how should fans feel fans about are it? upset because it seemed predetermined and it was, right? Spence wins, 
PBC, Al Heyman, and Fox suddenly has Danny Garcia, who was on the announce desk above the arena, suddenly right there. Tur- Turtleneck and all. And they sort of said, matter of fact, you get the next fight. The problem with that is he just lost to Spence last October in that vacant title bout in which, I'm sorry, to Porter, yeah. in which Porter wins the WBC title and gets into this fight. Since then, he's bounced back with a nice knockout of Adrian Granados. But he hasn't seemed to, in this season, do enough to earn it. The reason why I'm not upset is a couple things. One, it'd be a great stylistic fight because Danny Garcia is an elite boxer with a great chin and he has the type of power, specifically in that left hook, to counter you that it's going to be an interesting, tense chess match the whole time. And number two, I've been talking about this welterweight era being potentially historic, okay? Not better than the four kings of the 80s and then they all moved up to middleweight, the Hagler, the Hearns, the uh, Durans and all that. But if we look back on this era and say that we had Spence, Crawford, and then a bunch of great B-plus fighters like Thurman, like Porter, like Danny Garcia, and they all ended up fighting each other, well, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this than Spence taking some mandatory against somebody else. He's potentially now going to be in three pay-per-views as an A-side in less than a year. And regardless of how this pay-per-view scores on the buy rate with uh, Porter, I think the way Spence fought, He's going to be just fine as a brand moving forward as one of the most important PBC fighters because he went out there and had to fight to win it. And in the end, yeah, people will pay for personalities, but they want to pay for something that's going to guarantee a win. The reason why I'm not so upset about Pacquiao is I have my own sort of thoughts in my head, okay? He's being linked for a Mikey Garcia potential pay-per-view at the early of next year. You can like that fight. You can hate that fight. That's fine. I'm wondering if he wasn't in the ring there because... Maybe we'll get something called Maypac 2 next year. Mm. And I'm not saying this with inside info. I'm saying it kind of makes sense, right? There's enough smoke here and enough money to be made. Maybe it would be smart not to throw Pacquiao right at Spence if you're booking the whole damn territory as a whole and maybe set up that fight. And then if we can get something like Spence Crawford in 2021, which the head of Fox Programming who talked to the reporters over the weekend said, we'd love to do that, you could end up winning out in the end. This is boxing. It's not the organized NBA playoffs, unfortunately, where the best is just going to keep climbing and fight the best. But if you sit here and say you don't like Spence, Danny Garcia as a fight, I'm going I'm to question you on that. It's not that I dislike it. It's that if the real claim to why we should do it is for historical completeness, that's not a bad argument, but that's not an argument why I should take Danny Garcia's chances seriously. right? I took Porter's chances seriously. I would take Pacquiao's chances seriously. I don't take his chances seriously. I, I'm not suggesting to you that Garcia is some kind of scrub. He is not. right? I was there when he fought Lucas Matisse, when Matisse was in his power-punching prime, oh, yeah. and he beat him. And, and his dad, Angel Garcia, let the whole room know about it. I remember that quite distinctly, right? But at the same time, it's like, dude, whatever... Whatever, however good Garcia is, Spence is a little bit better. I'm not suggesting he's unbeatable. Well, look, he pushed Keith Thurman to the limit in, the, in basically a split decision. Yeah, but that was Thurman that we're now saying was on the decline. He, no, not, not at that time. Not, that was before the injury. That was, that, was the be, that was the beginning of the chapter of his uh, alleged decline. Well, it was the last fight before the two-year break and the injuries. Right. Okay? And, he, and it was a pretty damn good fight, okay, by the way. When people bring up his decline, they talk about the Danny Garcia fight. Whether that is fair or whether that is not fair, they do. They don't say all of a sudden, oh, he beat Danny Garcia, and it's only a function of the well, time off. I'm just saying Danny Garcia is pretty damn elite. He hasn't doesn't have the welterweight resume, even though he's hold, held the world title that he had at 140, but he's pretty damn elite. And I'm not trying to sit here as company man of anybody and say, well, this is fine. This is how boxing does it. Is Spence Pacquiao the next logical step if you're trying to find out who the best welterweight in the world is? Yes. But I also am beaten down and understand how the boxing business works and promotion <laughs> works and network works and setting up big fights. And Spence, Danny Garcia, to me, that's a damn good fight. It's, it's, it's a fine fight. It's fine. It's just not the best available one. Certainly the Crawford one would be by Would you pop for Maypac 2 next year, though? Would you pop? <sighs> I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. That's a lot. To, that's a lot of baggage. What if someone told you the first you can't was, get Pacquiao Spence, but you could get Pacquiao Mayweather too? When Pac's coming off that Thurman win, look, and he looks like I would good. like it because it would drive subscribers to this channel, right? We would we would we would pimp that fight like it was no one's business. But you're asking me like I don't know. Here the thing is, man, that experience was so weird and so unique and so in some ways unsatisfying. I don't know that if that's blinding me to what is possible a second time around, or rather than that, that I'm just going to get the exact same thing, and I'm trying to delude myself and say it'd be so. I, I don't know. The answer is I don't know. I don't um, know how I so feel. So unsatisfying. About that. Uh, check, check, check. Real quickly, yeah. so Triple G is going to fight uh, Derevchenko Saturday. Saturday at MSG. You know what was interesting about this one? I was thinking about. I was like, should fans get excited for it? I'm going to make the case that they should. Brian Campbell. I want to know what you have to say, but in just a second. But I'm going to make the case as follows. Folks may not remember this. Triple G was supposed to fight Derevyanchenko, ooh, what was it, about a year ago, right? August of 2018 or so. He went out and fought Vanessa Martirosian. And well, that was supposed to be Canelo. Canelo had the tainted meat, so Vanessa was a late-minute right. replacement. So, but he, because he did not get the exemption from the IBF, they actually ended up stripping him. Anyway, so they, they come back around, and the, apparently the negotiations were contentious, admittedly over some frivolous stuff, but they were contentious. They've signed to fight kind of late. The point being, though, is against Andy Jacobs, I thought Derevyanchenko looked pretty good. He's Lost a, a split decision. It was right? a good fight. And, and, and by the way, after getting dropped, showed a ton of heart and commitment mm-hmm. afterwards. It did not deter him at all. So my thought is, look, you got two kind of bulls who come forward with this one. One with a much greater pedigree than the other one. Okay, but still, it's not like Derevyanchenko is some scrub in the amateur circuit either. Good-ass fight, Luke. This is a right? sleeper fight. I, I, I'm saying, like, and it's much better than the initial. Like when, when, For example, when Canelo went to his first fight in his own, it was like rocky fielding. It's like, dude, this is another way. But this is, he already, Triple G already had his first fight with DAZN in his back pocket. With, this with is now the second roles, one. Yeah. Look, I'm not saying it's as good as the third fight would be with Canelo. No. It's a great fight. It's a hell of a replacement. We already talked last Last week and in, in the previous weeks, how Kovalev Canelo to me is the is the perfect replacement since we're not getting the third Triple G Canelo fight. Well, on the flip side, you're also getting Triple G back in a title fight this weekend. It's the belt they stripped from Canelo that you mentioned because Canelo was talking to Derevchenko for a while. Derevchenko calls himself the technician. It's only got about 11, 12 fights, but in those he's shown a hell of a lot. Gave Jacobs all he can handle. This will not be an easy test for Golovkin. There's some real suspense here from a guy in, in Derevchenko who is a it can box, can punch, is durable. Is tough, but yet if Triple G wins, I know Canelo's still kind of being. Um, I mean, the word wouldn't be bitch. That'd be the bad. That would be a bad word. Fans are saying it. I don't believe it. But he, he's saying, who are, I, who are you, Trump? He's saying, many I, people are saying. He's saying I still may never fight Triple G. Well, one of the reasons why he doesn't want to fight Triple G right now, he says, is because Triple G doesn't have a world title. He's nothing to bring to the table. He wins this title on Saturday. It would make a lot more sense to do this, the third fight next year. Canelo, Triple G, a unification bout, big business, all of that, obviously, depending on what happens here with Kovalev and all that. But uh, really good fight, really good sleeper, hardcore fight. You want to check that out. Yeah, it is. Uh, and they have just a little bit of shared history. It's kind of interesting, these two. All right, so let's go back to you, uh, MMA, if we can, just here for a second. UFC 243, Brian Campbell. Days <sighs> away. The UFC middleweight title will be unified between the existing champion, Robert Whitaker, and your interim champion, Israel Adesanya. We talked a little bit about this last week, by the way. That clip, I don't know if you went back and watched the views. Did you see the views for that clip on last? I did not. Uh, it's the best clip we've ever put out in terms of views on our, on our now burgeoning channel. Wow, right? wow. Pe- people were interested in it, yep. They're like, enough of these dong jokes. Let's get down to fight let's, breakdowns. Let's get down uh-huh. to some breakdowns. So here's the question for you. I'll actually pitch this one back to you if I can because I've done not one but two dissecteds on wow. this, Brian Campbell. Professor Salt and Pepper on fire. All right. Oh, well, you know, we didn't get to one last week, Jay. In any event, 
Give me an X factor. Give me an X factor for either guy. What is something you're thinking about here for maybe either guy that you're not saying it necessarily will make the difference, but it could. Well, I think for Whitaker, it's very obvious to point to the inactivity. 16 months here, coming off of multiple sort of injuries and and setbacks. Can he be the same guy in what you can look on paper and and arguably say this could go down as the toughest fight of his career? Two 10 rounds with Yoel Romero is as tough as you're going to find. We're going to find out on Saturday if this qualifies under that same regard. But to come back to this level of fight with that kind of time off is certainly very interesting. And I think without Asanya, we don't know how great he can be. We, I think we kind of have a feeling how good, how great Robert Whitaker could be. Robert Whitaker is a great-ass fighter. He's incredibly tough. He is uh, so durable, carries out a nice game plan, does a lot of things well, Luke. But I think we figured out through 10 rounds with Romero, he's pretty damn great. Adesanya has that potential next-level ceiling here, and that is so intriguing to watch in this matchup. Can he do the same things to Whitaker that he has done to others? Can Who is going to get off first between these two and try to take the lead and make the other one be a counterpuncher? If it's Whitaker who does that, is Adesanya going to jump out and gain control of this fight by being the more dynamic, quicker-handed guy to come out here? There's so many sort of X's and O's things I'm interested in finding out, just as much as if both guys are dialed in and are just about even in terms of overall ability, we're going to have five hellacious rounds here because Adesanya just went through the uh, hell's oven there against Gastelum and passed with flying colors, and he's fresher right now. I think suddenly Whitaker, who is the rightful favorite in my mind, has a little bit more to prove in this one. When you say Adesanya is fresher, you mean because of the time off between the last fight and this one? Right, because he was just bouncing between camps essentially at that point. Yeah, I'll give you an X factor for both of them. You mentioned the time off. I'm actually going to say that cuts both ways. So on the one hand, with the time off for Whitaker, it's like, dude, you've had two fights in 26 months, and you're now 28 years old. That is a lot of time off. That is a lot of time off. And I realize some of it's due to injury, the last-minute cancellation against Kelvin Gastelum, who could have foreseen hernia or whatever the situation was. Is there going to be ring rust? The rule about ring rust is, Dominic Cruz says it doesn't exist. Well, oh, it, exists. It, it, it exists. But the key is, it only exists on most fighters, most fights, most of the time. Not every fighter, every fight, all, all the time. So the question is, does he have some ring rust? Which intersects with the other part about that. Dude, when you go from 26 to 28, you're talking about the time any fighter's career, much less any elite champion, where they put together skills, camp over camp over camp. Case in point, Israel Adesanya, right? It's exactly what he was doing from 27, 28, 29. Okay, so my point being is as follows. It could be the case that he has no ring rust. It could be the case that he has some ring rust, and at the same time, he's got a whole new bag of tricks we haven't even seen before. All the tape we're looking on him from was from over a year ago, and before that, a year before that. So my whole point being is, when he comes out there, what setups is he going to have? What different takedowns is he going to have? All these different pieces of the puzzle, he's never shown anyone, there's no tape on, he could unleash that on Adesanya. That's an in a optimistic way. way to look at it, and I get that. I think it's somewhat, dude, you're talking about a... But the we're biggest... Not, hold on, thing on this, and I'll let you go. We're not talking about any old donk. We're talking about Robert Whitaker. We're talking about Bobby we're talking about, Damn Knuckles. We're talking about yeah. the very best middleweight while we currently speak in that division. I think it'd be very foolish to discount his creative potential. Uh, I'll give you that, certainly. But when you're talking about ring rush, your biggest fear is timing. He would not need timing in any other fight in his career more than he would need it against Israel Adesanya. If this turns into a close-range chess match, a kickboxing match, then this is going to be a... a a style of fight he could potentially lose if that timing is off. But this is my point. If the idea is that he's going to show new wrinkles, I, again, I'll, one of the dissecteds is, what do we know about Whitaker's offensive wrestling? And the answer is, not much. He but had, we do know, in his time off, he got good enough to wrestle at international freestyle tournaments. 
if you want to wrestle against anyone, it's the guy who's good at kickboxing, or I should say who is great at kickboxing, who is good at wrestling. That's your peak moment and opportunity, and he's never really shown that this is a chance to flip it the is. script. And, if, and to be fair, you know, he was a headhunter for most of his early rise at middleweight and really started to work in the leg kicks in the two Romero fights, and you'd have to think that's going to be a strategy that's going to be key against Adesanya. Last thing about Adesanya, don't you agree with this? His coach, Eugene Behrman, brought this up. Why is there a consistent and pervasive doubt about him? Every one of his opponents, from Wilkinson to Vittori to Brunson to less so Tavares, although Tavares a little bit, but then you go back to Anderson Silva, I guess a little bit as well, and then Kelvin Gastelum certainly, they're all like, dude, he's not that good. And I'm like, well, no fighter is perfect, and he's got limits and they're identifiable, but newsflash, he's fucking awesome, actually. He's very good. Why, why can't they just say that? Because anytime you're flashy and you're a trash talker, and you give the appearance like you might be somewhat one-sided, you're going to get haters who need to see and be critics first before they can be proven. I mean, he answered so many critics with the backbone he showed against Gastelum. We haven't seen anybody take him down and make him pay for it yet. And that could end up being a factor in this fight. Let's say Whitaker is not having the success on the feet. Let's say he's getting solved in that area. Will offensive wrestling be a big part of it? I think it will. Well, it just seems like Adesanya is answering each question each time that he needs to. And let's not forget, Whitaker was also the uh, underdog in like six of his last eight fights before winning the title. So it kind of happens to everybody until you consistently prove it on the elite level. But how about this, Luke? Gastelum fought the fight of his life against Adesanya, correct? Up to that point. Not just in terms of up to heart, that. He's still young, but, but he's game plan-wise? Yeah, up to that point. You go back and watch that fight. Gastelum had a set game plan and the angles and the ways that he attacked. Is he potentially more dynamic of a threat than Whitaker was? Whitaker's a better fighter than Gastelum, all well-rounded. And one thing the Reaper does is he will outlast you. He will grit and get through it. But is the game plan and the potential offense that he brings to the table... Really not as dynamic as what we just saw from Gastelum in the no, fight of his life. I disagree. Uh, there is, to be sure, it was not that I was not sold on Kelvin Gastelum. I always knew he was good. But after the Adesanya fight, I, I looked at him and said, I have misjudged him. He is much better than I thought he is. Much, much better. I really came out of that fight thinking very highly of him. On the other hand, what makes Adesanya what he is? It is the level of advancement. So, again, one of the things I did for Dissected is fainting. Fainting is, you know, in boxing, it's so common you almost take it for granted. It is, it, I won't say it's absent in MMA, but it's not universal, and guys aren't nearly as good at it. Adesanya is incredible at it, and you take someone else who's also good at it is Robert Whitaker. There's a degree of technical advancement to Robert Whitaker where is he the marauder that Kevin Gastelum is? Is he willing to put more offense together in quick spaces? He's a little spaces? more meat and potatoes than Kevin Gastelum. Kevin Gastelum. I would actually say it's the opposite. I would actually say those blitzes that he has are are perfectly timed, um, covers distance quickly, full of trickery. Who's got more trickery in their game, right? Who makes you look this way while they go that way? It's Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker does a lot more of that. But the question is, when you meet your match and someone who can do that, how does that play out? And I guess I just don't know the answer. And I think to that. when you look statistically, when you get real nerd heavy. Uh, Adesanya doesn't get hit a whole ton. Whitaker absorbs more punishment in these fights. You know, he went in there against Romero and fought in 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 the dungeon for for many of those rounds and came out on top. I want to verify that, but go ahead. How much if 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 Adesanya is able to slip and counter and get consistent in that? Will we see Whitaker have to go to a plan B that we've never seen before? Right. This, these are a lot of intriguing things. I know there's a lot of haters watching this going. Adesanya is not the real. He's going to get pummeled. I really like Adesanya's chances in this. Point. To me, it's like if you don't take either of them seriously, I don't know. I don't know what they can do at this point. Is it a legit 50-50 pick him? Well, which way are you leaning, actually? Let's ask that. I'm leaning out of Sonia. Is that right? 
Yeah, I, mean, I think he has more to show us that we haven't seen to go to, to go to an even higher level. It's just to me, it's like what's better: all that time off and then developing a bunch of skills and then getting a chance to show it when there's been no tape on it, or back to back to back to back to back with a quick break at the last interval and then bringing all that to bear. Which which is a better way to get ready for this kind of a life challenge? I guess we're going to find out. I lean Adesanya too, but I've been an Adesanya homer, so I'm not reliable. See, I haven't, and and I've come around to, right? to such a le- well. No, it's certainly so exciting to watch, but the idea of believing that we're seeing a truly special talent who's only getting better and only has even more in the tank and tricks to show us that we haven't seen. I see. I'm, I mean, seriously, sitting cage side for that fight against Gastelum, I mean, that was one of the better experiences as a uh, journalist or combat sports fan of all time, and it really opened my eyes to we don't even know how great he can be, whereas Whitaker's damn great. Love him. I'll give you something. Uh, Gastelum was more in Adesanya's face. I don't know that Whitaker will do that. Whitaker might give him a little bit of room. Who's going to end up being the counter-striker in the end? Adesanya. And that's where he's going to have it. That's going to play into his hands. A little bit, yeah. Also, but, he can, but uh, if he waits too long with someone with the speed of Whitaker, it could be problems. To me, to me, it's like you got two of the very best in their athletic primes. It's amazing. Are you expecting an absolutely insane atmosphere there? Oh, I mean, this is an all oceanic uh, uh, hard on. This is amazing. Right? I mean, there's going to be kangaroos you call in the that audience. A knife? This is a knife. Koalas, right? I mean, this is yeah. Paul Hogan from Crocodile Dundee is going to be there the whole bit. Can we get a Campbell's By 80s the way, reference? Comment? We have a camera guy. Speaking, I mean, does he, your 80s and 90s references? Our camera guy over here, he must get none of them. Do you get any of the 90s oh, yeah, references? Yeah, you, guy, uh, you do some of them. All right, okay, you're going you're gonna to put Jake on the table here. And call I'm going to burn him because I, mean, I didn't say his name. You did. You're out here you're outing whistleblowers. I don't know what you're doing that for. Can anyone see less than Jake right there when he was like? Raise your hand, Jake, because they can see you on camera. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. There he is. Uh, so bef- while we're warming up here, just full fourth wall re- renewal here uh, in this nice bomb shelter, we play a little rock music to Sit get fired up. Do- oh, you're working. And Luke says, hey, Jake, take this ish off. What was being played at the moment? Uh, was it Godsmack? No. What was it? Alice. No, no, no. The shit you were playing. Disturbed. Disturbed. Oh, and it looks like, get this new metal shit off my airwaves. Yeah. Why don't you put on Alice in Chains? And Jake's like, uh, man, how do you spell that, Allison? Yeah, and he was like, you... yeah, he's like, which Allison? And why is Chains a last name? And I was like, how old are you? He's like, twenty five. I'm like, well, you know what, yeah. dude? How famous do you have to be to have generational turnover? The answer is, I have no fucking clue. Like, I guess Beatles. The Beatles are the only one. Can you name two Beatles songs? Yeah, give me two Beatles songs. Come together, hate you. Oh, fucking, he knows all the Beatles. All right. All right. How do you not know Allison Chains, man? Not your genre. You're playing Disturbed. I mean, it's kind of your genre, a little bit. It's kind of close. <laughs> He's like, you know what? <laughs> He's like, I'm like, I like rock music. Oh, yeah, you like uh, like, you like the Stones? No, motherfucker, I like Nickelback. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Nickelback Jake fan. Jake doing it all for the nookie. Canada, yeah, son. all right. All right, let's get back on track. Yeah. Last topic before we get to our DMs and donks and all the other stuff. Um, important news uh, over the last week. Daniel Cormier has revealed... That he is going to be, well, he wants to, anyway, take on Stipe Miocic for a third time. Now, if he does, A, it'll be his third fight, or sorry, the, A, it'll be the third fight, B, his last fight, and C, it probably won't take place until 2020, because apparently Miocic has some kind of lingering eye issue from their last contest. Now, we don't know how Miocic yeah, feels about this. Yeah, stuck his finger in his eye. There's a damage retina. There's Fair enough. Like but we don't know exactly how Miocic feels about this. He has not weighed in on it publicly that I'm aware of. Okay, but let's assume that he takes it. Let's just assume they find a way to make it. The question is, is there reason to believe that a third fight between Cormier and Miocic would be different than the first or the second, right? Would it be its own kind of fight, or at least different than the second one? 
I'm going to say the answer is yes. Now, there is not, that's not me that's saying. That's not a hard answer, Luke. That's not a hard question. That's, 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 actually, it's a really important question. The people who, in, in, if you have a trilogy and there is space between the first and second fight, not always, but often, the fighter who wins the second fight is the fighter who ends up winning the third one, right? Because you have shown that whatever happened in the first one, it wasn't illegitimate, but that if you get chances to make adjustments, who makes the better adjustments? And you only have... It's an interesting... I've never heard that, that put that way, but you're saying, so typically the winner of fight two always wins fight No, three. no, no, not always, but it happens a lot only when there is space between fight one and fight two. So in other words, you had Dillashaw like, rebound right away. Again, not rebound, but you had um, Cody Garbrandt rebound right away against Dillashaw. It was too close together. There was no time to make adjustments. But if there's time to make adjustments and there's time to grow and someone gets a little bit older in this particular case, it doesn't mean that I think Miocic is guaranteed to win the third or that Cormier is, but that when you have a chance to make adjustments, that's different because here's what folks don't realize. You don't have an infinite possibility to make adjustments. There's only really, I won't say it's a finite amount, but it's a fairly narrow subset of things you can do differently. Here's why I think the third fight deserves to, to happen. One, it's kind of important for, I think, for, for Cormier, which I'm sympathetic to. Uh, it is bad in the sense that if he wins, he just drops the title. That is a problem for me. But I'll say this. He didn't wrestle optimally. He didn't even establish the takedown threat. And you mean to tell me that they can't find a way around the body shots? I mean, the answer is maybe they can't because he had that dipping issue that Jones always took advantage of. But for me, Brian Campbell, between the ability to make an adjustment for that and then to reestablish, even if you don't get the takedown, reestablish a takedown threat, that, to me, makes the third fight intriguing. Uh, yeah, this is an absolute no-brainer. I mean, I'm not going to come out here and be that guy again. And uh, Stipe didn't win the fight. He lost, you know, D- DC lost it, even though there's some, there's a lot yeah, of you, truth you in tried. that. you tried. There's a lot of truth in that, all right? And the, and the theme of that is just what you're saying. Stopped wrestling after round one, but even more importantly, stopped listening to his corner, walked into oncoming traffic with no fear or respect for Stipe's power. DC has been documented. He's talked about this. Him coming back with a much smarter game plan, and now with what's at stake in this fight, when I heard him on ESPN talking and and saying that, you know, my wife even is behind this, I got to come back for one more, I can't leave it the way it is. Look, I was giddy like a schoolgirl. I was giddy like, like a, like a fanboy, because do you know what's at stake now in this fight? Mm. This makes this third fight, look, I had wanted Jones uh, DC3, right? right? Shout it out right here. I wanted Jones DC3 so badly because I was going to make that hipster argument that this is the most important fight in UFC history. And had DC not lost to Stipe, it probably would have been. This fight, it's not more important than that could have been, but in just the heavyweight history, this is the biggest heavyweight fight in history. Hmm. I think you can argue that this is even bigger than the last great super heavyweight fight in history before this, which was in Pride, and it was Fedor, and it was Krokop. I mean, just in terms of what's at stake for their careers at this moment, the idea that the in this everything's got to be the GOAT, in this fight, the winner is the greatest heavyweight of all time in UFC history. And for DC, you really repair that hole from that last fight, and he can walk away with a hellaciously good resume. And I wouldn't be upset at him leaving the title and walking away because this is a guy who's been so great for the sport and, and would so deserve it. It does but create you consider, problems that division. You know, I'm not worried about his body attack. He fell into that body attack because he gassed himself and fought a stupid game plan and allowed himself to get lit up with punches. This third fight, stylistically, given the mistakes that Stipe made in the first and DC made in the second, has potential to be completely different. It has potential to be hellacious, and there's so much history at stake on the line. Tell me a fight that has had this much at stake. Just seriously, straight up. Well, so the issue is it is super rare for the last fight of your career to be arguably your most important or certainly one of enormous significance relative to your reputation. So, for example, 
the body of work that St. Pierre had turned in was so good that had he lost the Michael Bisping sure. fight, maybe it wouldn't have mattered. But the upside was so enormous that if you can come back from a four-year sabbatical, jump up a weight class, and then grab a title, dude, you are going to be in the annals of history as one of the tops if you already already were. weren't. So the point being for me is um, you almost never see someone where they come down to the wire and I won't say this would under, undermine his body of work, but it would, it, would, it would reframe some of it if he can't get it done against Stipe because we, the whole framing was, again, second best in college, fourth at the Olympics. Um, you know, you, you take your pick, right? Backseat to, to Kane, can't beat Jones. Then he goes up to heavyweight. The whole argument was, well, if Kane's not there, DC's the guy. He may have been the greatest all along. We just didn't know it. Okay, yeah. and then the whole thing gets reframed. If you lose to Stipe twice, then exactly. it begins to follow that same narrative over and over. Conversely, if you win, it's like, oh, wait a second. He finally, he always persevered, but he would really ascend to the top of something special beyond what he already has if he can get it done. You almost never find somebody in the last fight of their career having to face questions like that. That is exceedingly rare in boxing, frankly, or MMA. Most fighters, as you know, they go out on their stool or they go out on their hands and knees or a stretcher or some sad press conference. Or they, get, or they go down with stool. I mean, there's, it's, you, can, you can double. You can. Why, why are you here? Um, <laughs> I'm teasing. All right. With that said, it is time now to get to your questions. DMs with donks. I post a photo every Sunday on my Instagram account, Luke Thomas News, and you guys uh, leave comments, and then the donks around here pick them for us. So let's go to DMs from donks if we can. Ready for this one, Brian Campbell? Yeah, let's do Make it. Make sure I got the right one here. Yes. Okay, does the winner of Masvidal versus Diaz get a title shot? How would you see that going down against either Usman or Colby? By the way, thanks for the best MMA show out there. It is the best MMA show out Com- there. Combat way. sports show. I mean, why, why stick it just to MMA, Luke? Fair enough, Brian right, Campbell. Right, Fair enough. Right. Go ahead. What do you think? At Jason... Uh, Desikito? Jason uh, Sudoku, I'm going to say. All right. Uh, yeah, I think that the star power involved in this Masvidal-Diaz matchup is so huge and the potential on such a high platform. New York City, Madison Square Garden, a pay-per-view main event non-title, BMF, all that business. I think you kind of have to, Luke. I think you have to take the winner and give them that opportunity to face the winner of Usman and Colby, which will be UFC 245, December 14th. Three title fights. Can't wait for that. Uh, and uh, I think... They have a shot at winning. I mean, this, this, I mean, dude, this the is, final four that you have now at welterweight yeah. is, is insane. This no, is great. Uh, I don't like Diaz or Masvidal's chances against Colby or Usman. I don't like their chances at all. At all. I won't say at all. I just don't like them. Um, here's what's funny. How, how is this a question? What I mean to say is the following. Do we really think that we, whatever else you think about the BMF, okay, they're branding themselves bass motherfucker. Uh, they're two excellent fighters. And they're going to fight like dogs, right? Winner's going to, I mean, at Madison Square Garden, they're going to ho- hoist that thing. The Rock is going to put a belt around them. Just think about the atmosphere. So I, want you to, I want you to go there in your mind right now. It's going to sell out. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be full of people who want to see two real dudes get after it. And I have no doubt they're going to do exactly that. Now, I don't know who's going to win, but that's what it's going to be. You mean to tell me? After you get the belt wrapped around you and you go to the press conference and there's going to be tons of New York media there and you declare how bad you are and how awesome you are and what's going to be next, they're going to give the shot to Leon Edwards? Yeah, I mean... Really? I mean, how is this I mean, even the, a question? The first question is who else would be in line? Leon Edwards and who else? Nobody they're, else. I, mean, so dude, I want you to just imagine the atmosphere and the buzz and the celebrity and then the outsized personality that's going to take over for the winner. And you think... And I'm, saying, I'm, not, I'm not questioning the, the, call, the, uh, the, the, the comment here. 
I'm simply saying, just generally speaking, how on earth would they give it to well, anyone else? Well, let me else? ask you this. Is there any chance the winner of that fight, because it's such a rare, unique situation where just seeing two real dudes for a fake BMF title and the fun that goes around it actually makes it more important than an actual title fight. Is there any way that they would look down at facing the winner of Usman Covington either because they think both of them aren't big enough stars or they're thinking in their heads, that's a tough-ass stylistic fight. Why am I necessarily chasing that? What I should be doing that's is the, maximizing my right. marketing potential and calling out Connor right. or Habib that's or, or... That's the only X factor. The X factor is if the BMF guy doesn't want it, well, then the whole game changes, right? The whole game changes. But if the BMF guy comes out there and says, I want next, I got next, I want to have one BMF belt here and one championship gold here, and I want to prove the blah, well, then I just don't, how do you deny? The amount of inertia pushing them forward, it's, it'll be impossible to deny, but you're right. If they go out and they say, I want St. Pierre, if they go out there and they say, I want Habib or a catchweight or whatever the case is, or Connor, then it gets dicey. And if Connor gets on Twitter, which he always does, after a fight and says, I got BMF next, dude, it's going to be over. That's the only wrinkle. But again, if the BMF person calls it out, it's over. Uh, Dana, wake up. Thank you for the BMF title. It cannot be one and done. Keep this crap going. All right. Uh, are we seeing a wave of old fighters, 30 to 35 plus, starting or moving into their prime in MMA scene, naming Cannoneer and Madsen? As a couple of examples from this weekend's UFC, you think that's a trend, Luke, or do you think it's special circumstances? Well, certainly Madsen's a special circumstance. I would say it's going to be a couple of things. One, if you had an athlete from a previous career who's matriculating, and that previous career is something where you have these worldwide participatory rates, like it's an amateur sports system, like a judo or whatever, and they don't have too many miles on them, and obviously they're going to be a tremendous athlete, then that would make it possible. Cannoneers are a really rare case where. All this time to do was maybe really good and never maximized it because of his inability to train in an elite place and get the right weight class. Those are rare things. I would actually say in general, here, here's the reality. If you really want to introduce heavy anti-doping and it ends up being at all effective, which still remains to be seen, if it, if it does anything, it'll... Well, I said this on Dissected. It's like I, there was a scene there from the... What, a uh, show with some PED talk? Never heard on. of it. There was a scene there with uh, Jeff Nowitzki getting on his feet and clapping, which I would have clapped too, when uh, Gastelum gets hit with a triangle from Adesanya and they both roll up and scramble. He's like standing up. And I'm thinking to myself, Brian Campbell, what is more natural than fist fighting another man for 25 minutes? When I think about things that are just meant to be in nature, it is the... <laughs> Fist fighting of two humans for half an hour. I'm sure that that's a natural thing, but okay, neither here nor there. The point being is this. Um, I would actually say it's going to trend younger. It's going to trend a little bit younger. You're going to see guys getting in earlier and getting out earlier, with the exception of athletes who have a career and are still so good that they can come over and have a second life, or people who just kind of figured it out late. But in general, no, I'd actually say it's going to trend, except for heavyweight. Those heavyweights, they all hit 40, it appears. Um, Anything different on that one or no? No, no, I have nothing to add, Luke. How about that? How right? about let's go to you on this one because it's relevant to your one of your jobs. What's worse, Brian Campbell? <laughs> incompetent MMA judge or corrupt judges or corrupt boxing judges from G uh, Guo Macaroni. Yeah. Guap Macaroni. Guap Macaroni. Um it's kind of the same thing. They both are awful, but obviously corruption is worse than ineptitude in yeah, my but eyes. Let me ask you this. How often do people just look at a, a decision they don't understand? which could be defensible, and they go, corruption? Yeah, corruption has been an easy way to cover up just uh, differences in opinion. I mean, let's not forget, somebody at this table thought Thurman almost did enough to beat Pacquiao. So it's, sometimes it's just in the eye of the beholder and the seat you're watching. But 
I mean, look, did you see on this pay-per-view main event, on this pay-per-view undercard of uh, Spence Porter when unbeaten 140 prospect Mario Barrios is in there and it's an action fight? Did you see this against... Um, oh, Bakhtir? Or Bakhtir, ba- or, uh, Bakhtir, uh, Bakhtir uh, you know, yes. I can't remember the name at the yeah. moment. And He had like a 116-111 scorecard. I was just, like, what? This guy's fighting his life against Barrios and he's, and he's draining on the gas tank and the whole time everybody at, at ringside is going, watch, he's going to get screwed. Watch, he's going to get screwed. Why? Because the other guy's the unbeaten house product, top prospect and all this. And we're talking about a foreign guy who has no promoter and doesn't have a network deal. And that's unfortunately... That's boxing. So that's worse than anything, Luke. That's wor- How many times have I been at a giant boxing pay-per-view in Vegas in this big event that's supposed to bring in the casuals and get my friends who are annoyed at me talking about boxing to finally care, and then you get another mailed-in pre-recorded sc- scorecard favoring the more, uh, you know, the money guy. Yeah, that's way worse than watching an MMA fight, in my eye, than watching an MMA fight and going, oh, yeah, the judge screwed that one up. Well, how the hell could he give that 10-8? I would just say that in general, I don't know how much of a problem corruption, as it's commonly understood, is. Like judges being bought off or um, letting nationalistic pride objectively take over. I would actually say in MMA and boxing, corruption is not the one I would be looking at. It's incompetence or just you know a relative lack of ability. Judging is hard. And there's a lot of people like Adelaide Byrd. I mean, how many bad, and CJ Ross, and these people who like sit on these posts. It's like the Supreme Court. They just sit on these posts for years handing out fucked up scorecards. It's really like affecting people's lives and, and, and their money. Their ability to make money, their and health, it, yeah. And it's like, to me, it's like the, that, that is a much more pervasive problem. Like, corruption, like, here's the thing about corruption. Like, you need evidence to, 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 to prove corruption. Where is your paper trail of money? I'm, I'm not saying it ever happens. I'm sure it happens every year. But incompetency, dude, you can see that right in front of your eyes. You don't need a paper trail for that. You can, the paper trail is the scorecard. Well, the problem you know? is that there's so much... Perceived corruption in boxing that anytime it's incom- it's just incompetency, it, it just up, gets labeled as yeah. corruption, then it's one big gross soup. All right, so this one goes uh, to both of us. Uh, what is your number one hangover cure? <laughs> by the way, I did not pick these. Is that John Riggins, by I the like way? Who the, put pe- that in- the people at Showtime picked these and then sent them to me. I-, I don't know what you're saying, Showtime. I don't know if I like this message. Luke, I know you have a few. That's Hold great on. work. Yeah, there. Uh, what's your number one hangover cure? Like if, if your head is hanging off. But you still have to go to work. Luke, I know you have a few. This is at Riggins. This is like John Riggins. John Riggins under the table at yeah, the. Uh, yeah. John Riggins, like upset with uh, the Skins game yesterday. Um, number one hangover cure. Well, bro, I got to tell you, at 40, there is no hangover cure. Yeah, for, see, that's it, once you get once once you get old balls, you, you're, you're, it's a Russian roulette. You, I mean, I could have a, a glass and a half of wine with the wife watching a sitcom and go to bed at nine yeah. and end up with a javelin stick Dude, out. If I don't head. drink yeah. enough water during the day and I have like. Yeah. Three like microbrewery beers. Oh god! You yeah. wake up with a with a raging. If headache. I go on the uh, fruity side of the IPA and you got uh, some uh, extra ingredients in there, it just that's me. What up. You, that's what you get for drinking IPAs. Well, no, that no. no so the, the no, premise of the question no. is: things you can do. IPAs are for people. It's like it's, for people who have taste of, no, of, of for, craft for, and engineering. It's you know for I mean? basic bitches, really, is who it's for. That's the exact opposite of what a great IPA is. No, that's exact. That's exact. IPAs. There are a couple of good IPAs. IPAs. People who say there are a couple of good IPAs are people who don't drink IPAs and can't hear Jimmy and I don't drink understand. Plenty it. of IPAs. I try. Come the, to New England, Luke, the home of the IPA. Buddy, I mean, buddy, just, uh, New England overrates their own microbreweries. Okay, have you waited in line at Treehouse Brewing in Massachusetts? Buddy, and, and, I can name and, a thousand and tasted the sauce. Do you understand I mean, why IPAs are so ubiquitous across microbreweries? Because, because you're drinking shitty ones off the store shelf in DC, and no, you think that speaks to, to the I whole wide range. No, no, right? you do not know what you I do. You don't know who you're speaking to. You don't know who you clearly do not know the depth to which we are. We can take this conversation. 
dude, what, they, what, what happened about 10 years ago was there was a hops race among beer makers. What they tried to do was just dump it in there. So, for example, remember 10 years ago when they had, like, Dogfish Head, 90-minute IPA? Then they had 120-minute IPA. Do you know why they made 120 minutes? Just to go like this in all their customers' faces. And you were first in line, I guarantee, being like, this hop tastes great. This is really good. There, it's just an arms race. Now, what they've done more recently is, to your point, they've incorporated more floral and fruity elements. They've dialed way Dude, back on the number of hops. There are levels to this. Like, there are Belgian... No, there, I've had, there, there's a one... I'm only talking about the top shelf right now. I, I understand. There is a, I'll, I'll give a shout-out to them. There is a, a brewery in, in my own neighborhood called Right Proper. They make a Belgian-style IPA that is phenomenal. Don't misunderstand okay, if me. You're, first of all, if you're drinking Belgian-style IPA, you're an asshole because Belgian's the Whoa, worst. Whoa, I'm a huge They're asshole. The style of beer. I mean, why don't, why don't we just put... Belgian-style? Are you put, kidding? Why don't we put a stick of butter <laughs> inside the bottle here and, uh, and, and like... And, you don't like Belgian-style? You mean the world leaders in beer making? Are you out of your fucking mind? Belgian-style is the I was getting on him for like right? a Nickelback. You are Nickelback. stand and fight that. Okay. You have the nickelback of beer palettes. Number two, dude, come to New England. All right, go go to you know what I'm saying. Go to Vermont. Go to Maine. Like get get the get the real dude, IPAs and then and the, dude, you are the guy who shows up with the frozen octagon pizza and you no, think that no, that shit is no, no, bro, you're, you're, bro, this, this shit is slamming, bro, you're, don't you? You're you're, you're, you're not the real. If this you is don't the wrong, like this if is the you wrong. don't like Belgian beers, there is no hope for you. You are you you are vermin. I mean, I have I have taste for actual craft beer. You I don't mean, have taste for anything. They are the world leaders, dude. Trappist okay. beer made by the monks. Do you know what they do in other countries in Europe and Asia? They build statues for people like Michael Jackson, and they like worship in front of it. David yeah. Hasselhoff can have a music career and be a star in Germany afterwards. Um, so you're gonna try to say, well, just because the rest of the this isn't a soccer argument here, just because the rest of the world gets down on some shitty ass Belgian beer? No, dude. I mean, name three Belgian beers. That's not the. That's no, not no, the no, 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 no. Don't dodge. Name three no, Belgian dude, beers. I've had the very best. Okay, I've I've done the uh, the the Delirium Nemes. So, I've done the, the so all I actually stuff, okay? actually went to Delirium Cafe in Brussels. I've had their entire. Dude, I love the shit out of Delirium. Okay, that's the best of the Belgian. But that's that also is the, the, that is the middle of the road for Belgian. If anything, that's not even close to their best. Dude, you are super wrong on this one. I'm not. Now, I'm here's really the not. I'm here's really the deal. Not. I'm not telling you New England doesn't have good beers. They got good beers. And I'm not telling okay, you haven't had good good beers. It's not even good. It's it's the, they're setting the trend for the country. Now, unless you Colorado's Colorado game. Very good. Very Buddy, good. They put, okay. they put, including my neck of the woods. Okay, they there's put some parts shame. of California where it's insanely good. But seriously, come to Vermont, Massachusetts, okay, and so, Maine, okay. and then we can have this conversation. Throw it, throw it on the gauntlet. <laughs> Give me two beers that I need to try from your neck of the woods. Give me two. Uh, anything on the Treehouse lineup, Orange okay. Julius, Treehouse I mean, lineup, Purple Haze. I mean, you got to you got to try else? that. Um, you got to go to. Uh, I mean, look, there's some main brewing company will change your life. All you right, know? all right. So what we're gonna do is next week, can you pick some up and we try some on the air? See, I'm talking about beer so good that you have to go. In a lot Fuck of cases, off. you have to Either go there. Deliver to get the goods it, okay? or don't right, deliver right, the goods. Right, we'll do it. On, we'll do it on the yeah? air. Okay. We'll okay. Do, and what I will do next is next week when I'm in Jamaica, we'll do it. We'll be great. Are you not here next week? No, no. Come on. All right. Well, okay. The next time you're back. We're going to do that. I'll How's bring that back sound? some red stripe for you. We'll have a real dong off. All right. The, the spirit of this question, though, Luke, hangover cure. is a hangover cure. I, I don't want to say this out loud because it, it breeds up bad conversations, but what's my number one hangover cure? Stretching out a coat hanger and sticking down my throat. Purging. You want that shit out of your body, okay? You want it out. You want all the problems from the night before out. That's that's how you begin a hangover cure, okay? Yeah, I like greasy food. I like getting a kale smoothie. I like doing all that stuff. But give me a nice hot shower. Let me throw up and take a nap. I'll be back in the game, all right? That sounds like a healthy, yeah. a healthy way to deal with your problems. <laughs> my guess is that's not the only problem where you recommend barfing as the solution. Um, I would say, honestly... 
if you can, if you can handle, because sometimes the hangovers are so bad you can't manage it. Yeah. If the hangover is manageable enough to get a good sweat and then to go shower, like get, rehydrate, get a good sweat out, go back, go shower, get a meal under you. Not, not, people well, say the greasy they, meal. The, I don't see, know if I agree the, with the greasy meal. The theme of the question was if you had to go back to work, and that's another conversation. If you were just sweat trying it, to survive sweat, on a Sunday at home, sweat it out. there are a lot of different factors yeah. you can use. Oh, there's oh, there's some herb factors you can use as well. Is to it, try yeah, to you can do that. And then ramen. I would have like a soup. Right to uh, there's a soup that, that my wife makes. That I think the Spanish the term for it is uh, uh, levante de, de muertos, like raising the dead. Oh, nice! Right, oh, nice. because it, it's it, you eat the soup; it's full of salt and whatever, and it kind of brings you back to life a little bit. I know so, the rock stars like Pedialyte. I like a nice like acai shake, like a nice yeah. power shake to kind of shake. I, 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 honestly, when I was 25, I would just wake up, sweat it out, I'd be fine. At 40, bro, there's. Purge, just purge. No, don't, don't take that back. We'll edit that out in the post. All right, all right and last right. but not least, out of all the combat athletes this weekend, why does Brian have such good bad taste in beer? Sorry, I meant to say, who had the most successful performance in Y of all combat athletes this weekend? Brian Campbell. I almost want to say Sean Porter, and it's kind of a stupid Ooh. hipster argument, but he fought at such an elite level and pushed Errol Spence to the absolute limit. Had the best night of his life in a losing effort. All the reasons I just said earlier. But how about I go to the co-main event of that card? I was going to bring this up later in odds and ends, but David Benavidez won back his WBC super middleweight title over uh, a trusty veteran there in Anthony Durrell, the dog. We know Benavides had lost the title because of a little bugar sugar. I mean, look, when you're young, sometimes it happens. He's only 22. He might be the best super middleweight in the game. And when you look at the assets in the PBC, you know PBC, they've got half of the great fighters in the sport. Yep. He might be right up there with Deontay Wilder, Errol Spence, and Manny Pacquiao in terms of the best, most important assets moving forward for the, for the PBC. 22-year-old, big for 168, can brawl, punches and bunches, and they are building a long-term kind of... Um, Super fight-ish. Do you speak Caleb Plant? Are you in on this guy? Mm. Sweet hands. You know mm. who we're talking about yeah, here? Yeah, I saw his last He's fight. a world title holder yeah. at 168. He He's fight. a pure boxer. Benavides is a stand-and-trade guy. There's a long-term term fight to make here. I know I didn't give the guys in the back enough time to put up the highlights here of David Benavides, but he had a big win, got a cut over Darrell's eye, finished him. Watch that guy. Watch that guy in the future. Later. All right, very good. I will go with, and I'll do a little bit more of this in odds and ends. I'm going to go with Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan got double gold at ADCC 2019 this year, which is, I won't say unheard of, because Andre Galvao did it in 2011. And you've had other people uh, medal twice um, in both, or medal once in absolute and then medal once in their weight class. But to do it in the same year, he submitted six of eight opponents. The only two who survived were Hulk, who got his back taken, and then Bouchesha, who could do basically nothing to him, who, are, who is a huge man, one weight class above him. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing to watch what he could do. And he is calling himself the no-gi goat. I don't know that that is true necessarily. But, dude, it was weird to watch him. I've been watching ADCC for so many years. He would just, he sets up a leg entanglement. And then it is as if everyone who gets in there is in quicksand. It doesn't matter where they post a hand. It doesn't matter where they place an instep. It doesn't matter where they place their weight. He just either finds a leg lock or finds their back, and it's over. You get off on this stuff. Well, I see you smirking. Here's the thing. I know I tweeted a 1,000 tweets about it over the weekend, which I'm sure had to be annoying. But as I said on Twitter, I don't deny that my ADCC tweets were annoying. This is what you donkeys get for your pro wrestling tweets. This is like embryonic fighting. So many MMA journos just flood Twitter with their dumbass uh, pro wrestling tweets. And I, I was flooding with my dumbass ADCC tweets. My tweets are just as bad. What's worse? They're just as bad. Me watching 
simulated fighting that's theater with pomp and circumstance and acting and all in toughness and in athleticism? Or are you watching embryonic fighting that's like, uh, let me create a new genre of adult films. All we do is kiss. It's called the, the Hallmark Channel. I already have that one. Like, what, like, like what, when, are, when are we going to see some action here, you know? No, nothing. No, no wonder you don't like Belgian beers, you Philistine. No yeah, wonder. Yeah. You got the palate of a toddler. Hey, Luke, have you seen this shit at all? Are we ready for this? Yes, let's do it. Let's do viral videos for the week. We want to start off. Look, we comb the globe. We, we, we're combing the desert, and, and we have found shit Let me shit ask you a question here. about this. Do you put this together? I do put this together. Okay, all right. All right, we start in Combate America, Guadalajara, Donnie Matos. Get ready. You're about to get short-circuited. You got Johnny Five. Here it comes, Luke. You didn't set this up very I well. I didn't set this up well at all. Yes, disassemble. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Donnie Matos, a big one. You get off oh. on Combate at all? Uh, yeah. Are you waiting for the uh, Tito Ortiz? Referee Jason Herzog looks like he's consoling I think guy. he's actually reviving him. I mean, I think like, Jesus. can we get off the paddles? Wow. Let's one see this time. one more time. So is it, it's the right hook? See, the my body. dad told me don't mess around with hookers. They'll take your money, then they'll take your soul. Right here, Luke. Steps out. It creates an angle. Oh, and wow. Jesus. Wow. Well, you know what? He didn't do the testifying in church bit. You know what that is? No. Testifying in church is when they, their head snaps back and then the hands come up. Oh, yeah. They didn't do, uh, he didn't testify in church. Well, so. what, what, that, what Donnie Matos' opponent should have had was some good training. Let's go to, uh, have you seen this shit, number two. Luke, if you ever find yourself on the streets of D.C. and you get well, who in a nice fight, look at the moves on this guy. Look at him. So if anyone's ever coming at you slowly with a knife, your best bet Probably be to wear a padded bra to block it if you're this guy or number two. Just turn real slowly, point it at your dung. Wait, what, Luke, what is going on? No, the trick to getting out of a knife situation is just to be a fat fuck. Wow. Look at the unit on this. Luke, what is happening right here? So just so dude, he's he, it honestly looks like someone who's trying to like with a finger poke like a like a like a like a whale. God, even Steven Seagal with his belly right now has faster hands. Than Look this at guy. this man's face. He's just bored with your bull ass. So if an elderly every woman, one of them, every one of them is built like this. If an elderly woman attacks you, okay, that's all you have to do, Luke. It's just, uh, yeah, alrighty, alrighty. That's so, hilarious. Uh, let's go on to the next one here. Have you seen this shit, Luke? All right, we're in Ooh, glory. This was Alex Pineda. Uh, last guy to knock out Anderson Silva. He became the first glory champ oh, champ. Oh, champ champ in glory. Call him Chris Hansen because he just learned how to catch a predator right there, Luke. Oh, Chris Hansen, I was just here to have pizza with the girl. Bro, she's 13. You're a dirt hole, all right? You'll be doing time with the subway guy. Why am what I a not, performance why am here I from not, Alex Pereira. Why am I not surprised you have watched endless hours of To Catch a Predator? Look at this. Oh, Blues Traveler taught me that the hook will bring you back. That guy's not coming back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You like that? You get down on that? Your 90s reference. Is Todd Grisham on that glory call? Oh, shouts to Todd Grisham. Todd Grisham going full-on Luke Thomas salt and pepper. He said he talked to Bruce Buffer about it. The ladies like it that way. He's embracing it. He's going forward. I'm still kind of coloring it out. Yeah. I'm a little behind the, this week. The answer but, uh, is that's true, but like, ask him which kind of ladies. Well, well that's, a, that's a separate podcast there, Todd right. Grisham's Love Life. All right, let's keep it moving here on uh, Have You Seen This Shit? Lower-level MMA. It's Dirtbag Carnival MMA. Dude, is this, Look I, at this. Wait, is this a battle of the juggalos? Look, what that's this? what you get for kicking the dong. Double dong kick KO. Look at the guy in the green hair. He's trying. He's trying. 
Instant Karma is going to get you. They're Luke. battling over which insane clown posse uh, song is their right favorite. It. I love that this guy's trying to gut it out. If they let the this video is, play, this is you and me arguing over beer. Yes. Look at. Have you ever seen like real bottom barrel MMA? Like, oh, buddy, I go to regional MMA all the time. Oh my yeah, god. Serious question. When was the last time you went to a regional? I show? have never. They sell beer or meth. What are they? What are you? What are you getting down oh, with? I mean, it depends. What are they selling in the parking lot? Oh, look at double dong K. Look, even Matt Matt Mitrione's uncomfortable watching this. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Do they each get like? Is it ten minutes or is it just five minutes starting now? I think the fight's over. I just wave the fight off at this point. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, dude. Regional MMA, you will see some ass. Yeah, and if you get a haircut like that and bring it into a cage, you're you're liable. What are you saying? You, you can't have a nice. So the, haircut the, like that? the video plays out. This guy's try. He tries to get up. He goes down one more time. You can't recover from that, Luke. Right? Which one gets kicked again? No, the guy on the left, the guy in the green hair, he tries to get up at the end of the video and he goes can't. down again. He can't, he can't make it. He's done. He's yeah, done. he's cooked. Yeah, all right. Hey, uh, let's finish up here. I don't know if you saw the weigh-in for UFC Copenhagen this week. I did. Ion Kutalaba? Kutalaba, yeah. Against uh, Moldovian. K- Khalil Roundtree. Um, is this acceptable? Like, If you're Roundtree, should you be allowed and, and encouraged to punch back when somebody does this to you? Let's see. Screaming like that? That's how Monday screams at me when I hit the alarm yeah. clock. That's me. This is me waking up my That's my alarm every time to get up to come to New York City to do this. Um, is that acceptable? That's, that's he is, the boy, he that is, is That, that dude, Kute boy, he is, uh, he's caffeinated. Yeah. He's caffeinated. Every time he's, he's dressing up like the Hulk, he's screaming in, in uh, Roundtree's face. Walking around like he's got a big erection, just swinging it around. It's good. Speaking of, how's it, how's it, to oh. circle back to Kute Laba, yeah. do you ever see Cannoneer walk him down? Remember that when he was at Light Heavyweight? I don't remember that. Cannoneer got the crazy eyes and then walked Kute Laba down and beat him. It's one of the all-time great moments of Cannoneer. Does he pronounce it Ion? Or is it some weird, like, European you, you know Jan? You know? It's, yeah, I don't know. All right. Uh, we've had some fun with pictures the last oh, few weeks, Luke. Sake. I dug deep for this one. You want to see I know, intensity? I, I, I know what you're going to show. Speaking of MMA face-offs, look at this. Polish regional MMA. You want to see the intensity of their faces? Luke, they're, they're like nose-to-nose. They're like mouth-to-mouth. Dude, they're literally they're, smooching. But if you zoom out a little bit in the back... Whoa! Tip to tip action! Just for a second, just to see how it feels. Luke, look at that intensity. Look at that right there. That's like a yin and a yang thing. They make movies about this, Luke. That's incredible. You know what? They're bonded for life, bro. I mean, how fired up are these guys, Luke? I don't know whether we're going to fight or F. I mean, this is great, right? Dude, they're out here touching dicks. That is. Wow. 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 This, is, this is like a sequel to Shaft. Brian, right? no yeah. matter, Brian no, I want you to know, no matter how happy I get with the show, we're not touching dicks, bro. Ever. I like you. You're a nice guy. We're not. Wow. By the way. We're Full story. I've been dicks. trying to get that. that like, uh, uh, let me tell this. Let me tell this. So we used to do a show called The MMA Beat. Rest in peace. Great show. The, like Brian had been on the show. When did you start doing the show? Uh, August 2018? of 2018. He comes in maybe two weeks after doing it because we did odds and ends on that version of the show too. Not, not called that, but more or less. On his phone, he's like, "Did you see this picture? These guys are touching dicks." <laughs> He's like, and he would go, and it, after every show, he'd be like, "Dude, is this the kind of show where we could talk about guys touching dicks?" And I'm like, "Brian, I, I don't, I don't think it's like, I don't think that's a good idea." Sure enough, without my knowledge, 
He brings it on this I mean, show. Look, if you if you're a fighter and you're going to bring that kind of intensity to a fight, we got this. That's what morning combat's all about. I mean, look, we're, look where we are right all now. Right, look, I, mean, we look, we look got, I got I got another yeah, show I got to right, do. Right. Uh, odds and ends. What's your odds and ends? Uh, my odds and ends is uh, this Saturday on Showtime. We got Clarissa Shields hey. back in the ring, and look, the two-time Olympic gold medalist. And I know that there's at times men's boxing fans are like, oh, get down with this women's boxing. But here's the deal on Shields: she has embraced from day one that she's the face of the sport and she's willing to do whatever it takes to prove she's the greatest of all time. One title's at 168 in like her second fight. Unified undisputed middleweight champion beat Christina Hammer last year in a, in a or, I'm sorry, earlier the year in a really big fight. And now she's coming back on Saturday against Ivana Habazin for a vacant title at 154. Her eventual goal is to move down to welterweight if she can mm. and take on Cecilia Brakus, who's the kind of the long-reigning pound-for-pound queen. You gotta give it up in terms of a daring to be great. Somebody putting the whole sport on her shoulders and saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to fight everyone in my era. I have a lot of respect for that. And the thing about Clarissa Shields is one of the better podcast interview guests runs her mind, runs her mouth, tells it like it is. Yeah. And in the fights, she doesn't have game-changing power in these two-minute rounds, so she's got to fight in these fights. A lot of her fights turn out to be fun action brawls. We're gonna she find she out pushes these ladies backwards. Uh, and by the way, if you want more of her content, I looked this up beforehand, we have a whole playlist right here on the Morning Combat channel. So if you just go to our channel, look at the bottom, and see a bunch of playlists for Clarissa Shields and that fight in particular. I encourage you to go look at more. That's a good one. Um, I'll go back to ADCC. Let me give a shout-out to Flow Grappling. Have you ever like, used their service? No. So I'd never used their service, and I finally like took the plunge. Wow, I was impressed. They would have three to four mats. Well, they had three mats, but they would have four feeds going at once. Once every feed had its own commentary team, it was easy to toggle between them. It was super simple. The production was smooth. The event moved quickly. Like, dude, they did a great job. And, like, they had pictures up after a win or a video on Twitter or on Instagram immediately. I was very, very impressed by them. I mentioned Gordon Ryan. One of his teammates deserves a note as well. It was not his brother, unfortunately, who did not do all that well, although he did beat a previous world champion. It's Nick Rodriguez. Nick Rodriguez, that's John Danaher on the team there. Nick Rodriguez, um, wow. Do you know his story? I don't. D3 wrestler, enormous muscular specimen, okay? He's a blue belt. Only been training two years now. After this tournament, he got his purple. So he's a purple now, but heading into the tournament, he's only a blue belt. He got to the finals, he beat black belt after black belt after black belt to get to the finals. Now, by the time he got there, he lost to a guy by the name of Kanan Duarte, who, by the way, I think um, Boucher should beat in the absolute. No, no who lost? Who beat Kanan? It may have even been uh, Gordon. I don't remember. Point being is this. Someone's like, how the hell can a guy with two years of training do this? Well, it turns out that, like, if you think about it just, just the right way, two years with John Danaher, they showed him can get you to learn just what you need to do, what you need to avoid. If you look at the ADCC tournament, they don't really, there's rules about guard pulling, which you just can't do. You have to kind of wrestle it out. So it's kind of a wrestling tournament to a degree. And you look at this guy, super driven with a great team. Yes, D3, but okay, that's a lot of wrestling experience. It was a lot of ugly matches, but he kind of got it done. Now, by the time he Sounds faced, exciting. His matches, well, it was exciting in the sense it's like, dude, how is a guy with jiu-jitsu for 20 years? How can they not beat a guy with two? It was kind of wild in that sense. By the time he faced somebody who, who could match him physically, it was kind of over for him. But it deserves to be noted, Nick Rodriguez over at uh, the Danaher, well, I guess he's part of the Danaher desk squad, but the, but the Henzo Gracie system, wow, dude, he opened up some eyeballs about what he could do. But, of course, Gordon Ryan being the real winner over the weekend. And, uh, and I, by the way, Gary Tonin, who's been doing one championship, kind of did the tournament late, got bronze. Got all bronze. Right. Pretty good all for right. him, too, as well. Shout out to Gary Tonin, yeah. Yeah, he did all right. So, uh, all right, we're done here. You owe me some beers. You owe me some beers. Uh, we're going to do it, all right? Imagine if you didn't have other jobs, we could actually do a full, proper show. I know, I know. Showtime. Imagine if I could really invest. 
in this program in a full-throated hey, way. Hey, shout Jay in the back. I couldn't hear you all show, but I know you were there for me. I know. By the way, I had my earpiece in the wrong ear. You know what, Jay? You go away. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks for Brian Campbell. Thanks to me. I don't know why I'm saying that, but I'm going to say just the same. Yep. Thanks to you guys. Here, I'm going to point this out. You can follow us on social media below. Please, please, please. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, and share it around. We're in our nascent st growth stage. We need all the help we can get in terms of getting the word out. Always appreciate it. Yeah, tell your friends and let all your hoes be loyal. Is that what you say at the end? No. No, that's not what I would all say. Right. I don't want to get fired. Okay, so for Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. <laughs>